Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael Cox teaches on By This Time Tomorrow. In 2 Kings, and I want us to go there today, and we're going we're gonna to read this whole story. You can read it at home with us, follow along. I don't know if you'll be able to see the screen, so you might need to get uh, something else if you're attempting to read along with the with us we're going to start in second kings chapter 6 verse 24 through 33 <clears throat> give you just a minute if you're trying to find that All right, now it came about after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. There was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, I lost my place, hold on. There was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and a fourth of a cob of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. That, both of those are nasty, all right? Uh, they were not supposed to eat donkey heads and definitely not supposed to eat dove dung, and, uh, but that's how bad things had gotten. 80 shekels of silver, um, I tried my best to figure out what a shekel would be. Shekels mentioned several times in this story, and I'm just not able to come to any conclusive thoughts on what a shekel is. As much as I tried to study that, um, many people say that it could be $20 and upwards of 500 to $600 a shekel. Um, I think it would be absurd for that to be um, five to 600 and so 20 seems best. Um, we'll just go with that. Sounds good to me. All right. As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, Help, my lord, O king. He said, If the Lord does not help you, from where shall I help you? Say, If the Lord doesn't help you, how am I going to help you? From the flesh, uh, threshing floor or from the wine press, meaning I can't get you food? And I can't get you drink. We don't have anything. It's, if the Lord doesn't help, there is no help. And the king said to her, what is the matter with you? And she answered, this woman said to me, give your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. Okay. They're already eating. <coughs> I got choked up before I came in here, guys. This isn't the um, Corona. I said I got choked up before I came in here. I'm coughing bad. People at home are going to be sending the ambulance for me. <coughs> um, so they're already trying to buy donkey heads and doves dung. And now this lady said to her, we'll eat your son tomorrow. And then we'll, I mean today, and then we'll eat my son tomorrow. Verse 29. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden 
her son. That is a terrible trick for one thing, right? Let's eat your son today. We'll eat mine tomorrow. Eat her son, then hide your son. But the absolute depravity and 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 just desperation in this time, I, you know, we've not seen something this great, something this terrible. We're, um, I've heard the rumors. I've tried to stay away from stores. I did have to go to one the other night, and I found the rumors to be true. There is no toilet paper anywhere. Uh, uh, we don't need it. We have some at our home because we buy in mass quantities all the time, even when there's not anything going on. So we were stocked up a little bit at my house. So if you don't know, we have eight kids. So there's 10 of us at our house. No one can come to our house because we are 10 already. And so stay away. Um, but we buy my, but I go and I see all this that's going on and we are in desperate times and there's people that are hoarding and there's people that are desperate and there's people that need things and there's a lot of fear and anxiety, but nothing that compares to this situation of someone boiling their son and eating their son because they were so hungry. When the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes now he was passing by on the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth beneath on his body. Then he said, May God do to me, and more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. Now Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him, and the king sent a man from his presence but before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, Do you see how this son of a murderer has sent to take away my head? Elisha is so super cool, right? Uh, the the uh, Aramean king had tried to attack Israel, and, and Elisha told the king of Israel everything that they were going to do. Okay, and so the, the Aramean king said, man, who is leaking this information? And they tell him, uh, it's Elisha. He knows what you're talking about even when you're in your bedroom and you whisper. And so Elisha, so cool that he's able to uh, see these things in the spirit and know what's going on. So he kept foiling the attempts of the Aramean king to attack Israel and so he was angry with Elisha and kind of leads us to this story. Now, the, the, uh, this is the Israel's king now that's mad at Elisha. Everybody's mad at Elisha. Elisha helps Israel's king to not be attacked by the Arameans, um, but in the trickery that happens, eventually they seize uh, Samaria where Israel is, and so he's still blaming it on Elisha, you know, did Elisha didn't tell us, Elisha didn't keep us safe this time, it's all Elisha's fault, passing the buck, so it's so cool, before this guy gets to Elisha's door, he tells the elders, you see this guy coming, you know, they're just sitting there chilling at the house, this guy's coming, and he's going to try to take my head, look, when the messenger comes, shut the door, Hold the door shut against him is not the sound of his master's feet behind him. While he was still talking with them, 
Behold, the messenger came down to him, and he said, Behold, this evil is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Uh, Behold, this evil is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Why should I look to the Lord? Why should I have faith in the Lord? Why should I think the Lord is going to bring an answer or bring salvation because this evil is from the Lord? So our faith um, that God is going to keep us and carry us and take care of us is greatly dependent upon whether or not we believe the evil that has befallen us is from him or not. If we believe it's sent by God, why would we be waiting for God to rescue us from what he sent to us? Now, a lot of people have, I believe, jacked up theology on this and believe that God sends disease and God sends destruction and God sends devastation. I believe that Jesus took the wrath of God on his back and he no longer is sending his wrath to judge the world and condemn the world. John 3, 16, we all know, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Because he sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but there, through him the world might be saved. Sickness and disease. He came that we have life in John 10, 10. But the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. This virus and every other virus like it and every other virus in the history of the world, every disease, every cancer, everything that's sent to kill us and destroy us is from hell. It's not from God. And that's why we can keep our focus on him to be the one to deliver us and rescue us and hold us and keep us. But the king of Israel had turned his face away from the Lord because he said, this is from the Lord. Why should I wait any longer for help? Let's go on to chapter 7. Then Elisha said, listen to the word of the Lord. You know, the guy who you don't have faith in. Listen to what he says. Tomorrow, about this time, a measure of fine flour will be sold for a shekel, all right? And two measures of barley for a shekel. I don't know if anybody can remember this, but if you'll go back up, you'll see that by tomorrow, you're going to be able to buy flour and barley cheaper than you were able to buy dove dung. That's a good trade. You're moving up in the world. If you can buy flour and barley cheaper than you can buy dove dung. I don't want any dove dung. <laughs> Verse 2, the royal officer on whose hand the king was leaning answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? If the Lord could make windows in heaven even, could this thing be? He was being a smart aleck. Then he said, Behold, you will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat of it. Now, four lepers, uh, there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why do we sit here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, then the famine is in the city, and we will die there. If we sit here, we'll die also. Now, therefore, come... 
let us go over to the camp of the Arameans. If they spare us, we will live. If they kill us, we will but die. They arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Arameans. When they came to the outskirts of the camp, the Arameans, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Arameans to hear a sound of chariots and a sound of horses, even the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. What I think is really cool here. And, and why you can't just take parts of the Bible, hear a good sermon, hear a good story, but it's really fun to read it for yourself and see how it all connects. But this army of the Arameans is the same army. Okay, if we can back up. All right. So when the Arameans came to, it, to kill Elisha, because he kept telling their secrets to the king of Israel, okay? They went to get Elisha, and Elisha, um, when they came to get him, is when they surrounded the city, okay? This is the chapter before. This is in chapter 6. They surrounded the city, and this is when Elisha's servant got up and said, Oh, my goodness, we're surrounded. That's the Aramean army had surrounded the city that Elisha was in, okay? And so Elisha prayed, God, please open the eyes of this servant so that he can see what's really going on. And so he opened the eyes of the servant. He goes back out, and he, Elisha says, go look again. He goes back out and looks again, and the army, the Aramean army that had surrounded them was surrounded by an army of chariots and fire. Uh -huh. You get that? Yeah. They were surrounded by an army of chariots and fire. So here this same army is surrounding Samaria, still furious with Elisha and with Israel. This same army is surrounding, and it turns out they ran and fled because they heard what? Chariots and fire. So that army that was surrounding Elisha and kept following him wherever he went, right following that army was the army of heaven, chariots and fire. That army never stood a chance. But there were still people that said, this is from the Lord. We're going to be devastated. We're going to do all of this. There's people that said, oh, my goodness, if God could open the windows of heaven, would he be able to save us? Then there's Elisha. It's really not that hard, guys. That army surrounded by an army. All that has to happen is that chariots of fire run off the army, four lepers go out to the town, see that it's empty, get all the stuff, come back and tell us, we go get the stuff, we bring it back here, and everything's cheap. See? Simple. Right? Sometimes it may not seem simple, but with God, it's simple. 
God is working and moving through things that we can't understand and we can't comprehend, and we have to put our hope and our trust and our faith with him. He can make four lepers line up with his plan. He can make the Aramean army line up with his plan. He can make everybody line up with his plan, and we have to put our faith and our confidence in him that he's moving and that he's working. Where was I? <clears throat> Before they uh, see, therefore they rose, their tents, horses, uh, where are we at here? Oh, yeah. So they said they've hired the kings of the Egyptians and the Hittites to come upon us. Therefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, even the camp, just as it was, and fled for their life. They left all their stuff and fled for their life. When these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent and ate and drank and carried from there silver and gold and clothes and went and hid them and they returned and entered another tent and carried from there also and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, we're not doing right. This day is a day of good news, but we're keeping silent. If we wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called the gatekeepers of the city, and they told them, saying, We came to the camp of the Arameans, and behold, there was no one there, nor the voice of man. Only the horses tied and the donkeys tied and the tents just as they were. The gatekeepers called and told it within the king's household. Then the king arose in the night and said to his servants, I will now tell you what the Arameans have done to us. This king is so smart. He always knows what's going on, right? This famine came from God and the Arameans are setting us up. I'm so skeptical, I'm so cynical, I can never just believe. Some of us are that way. So skeptical and so cynical that we can't believe. I'll tell you what the Arameans have done to us. They know that we're hungry, therefore they have gone from the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, when they come out of the city, we will capture them alive and get into the city. One of his servants said, Please let some men take five of the horses which remain, which are left in the city. Behold, they will be in any case like all the multitude of Israel who are left. Behold, they will be in any case like all the multitude of Israel who have already perished. So let us send and see. Like, look, what's the difference? We're going to stay here and die, or we're going to go out and look and see what has happened and see if God has moved on our behalf. They took, therefore, two chariots with horses, and the king sent after the army of the Arameans, saying, Go and see. They went after them to the Jordan, and behold, all of the way was full of clothes and equipment, which the Arameans had thrown away in their haste. Then the messengers returned and told the king. So the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. Then a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel. Seems like I heard that before. And two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. 
look, I just want to make, I just want to declare this. Not only are we going to be victorious over this thing that seems to be surrounding us, but it's going to leave some stuff for us that are going to make us better than when it came. I mean, this army that surrounded Elisha said, open his eyes. So he saw, oh, great, that army's surrounded by that other army, so I don't have to worry about that army. I mean, faith says, great, we don't have to worry. I mean, but when we really know how the kingdom works, when we really put our confidence in God, we don't just say, okay, we don't have to fear. We say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They brought stuff to me. Not just I don't have to be afraid. It's time to get excited. Listen, I, I, I have empathy. I know people are suffering, and it breaks my heart. You know, sometimes we say, um, this only killed so many people. No big deal. That's not what you say if it's your mom. That's not what you say if it's your dad. We are about people. It diminishes us when we lose anyone. There are good people. There are amazing people. There are God-fearing people. There are pastors that have lost their lives to this virus. We could say it like that. Or we could say there are amazing people, God-fearing people, pastors who have gained heaven because of this virus. Death has been swallowed up in victory. No matter what happens, we win. The, if, the death, if death comes, if the virus brings death, it leaves me with the greatest reward that I have could ever attain. Eternity with the Father. Eternity with the Savior. We have nothing to be afraid of. Nothing. Isaiah 25, 8 says, It is the gloom of death. He will swallow it up in victory forever. And God, Lord Yahweh, will wipe away every tear from every face. He will remove every trace of disgrace that his people have suffered throughout the world. For the Lord Yahweh has promised it. 1 Corinthians 15, 54. And when that which is mortal puts on immortality and what now decays is exchanged for what will never decay, then the scripture will be fulfilled. I don't want to update right now. Then the scripture will be fulfilled that says death is swallowed up by a triumphant victory. So death, tell me, where is your victory? Every pastor, every believing person who has died, who has gone on, I say, death, where is your victory? Tell me, death, where is your sting? Virus, where is your power? You've given us the ultimate reward. It is in sin that gives death its sting and the law that gives sin its power. But we thank God for giving us the victory as conquerors through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. We have nothing to fear. Death has been swallowed up in victory. We don't mourn as people without hope. We don't look at death as people without hope. We mourn with those that mourn. We have compassion for people that have suffered loss. But we have to see things rightly or we're going to be gripped with fear and we're going to be running the rest of our lives. Because there's always going to be something. If it's not corona, it's going to be something else. But I refuse to live my life running in fear. 
What's the worst that can happen? I reference it all the time. People probably get sick of it. But I'm a Rocky fanatic. I grew up watching Rocky movies, okay? And in Rocky V, after he beats the, I can't remember his name, in Rocky IV, he beats the, the amazing chiseled boxer from Russia, right? And it's, it's a, somebody saying the name in here? No? I thought y'all were saying the name, trying to help me. I would, I would, I would have appreciated it, but uh, I can't remember. So he, he, something happens, you know, Polly wastes all their money, signs a bunch of papers and screws up. So they're back in the slums that he was raised in, and he trains this young man, and the man gets deceived, and they're, the ultimate ploy is to get Rocky back into a ring, and he won't do it. And so they end up this, um, they end up having, of course, a fight in the street, right? And it's like a normal person would have died eight times in that fight, but, you know, it's Rocky, so he lives. And at the end of the fight, the promoter, um, he comes up, and, and he's like, only in America, only in America, and he says, and you just see Rocky ball up his fist. This means nothing to people that haven't seen this, right? This means nothing to people that haven't. Ivan Drago, my son looked it up. Yeah, I love technology these young people have, all right? So he's just taunting them, and so you see Rocky just ball up his fist. Sylvester, Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. Balls up his fist, and then the guy just looks at him. He says, touch me and I'll sue, punk. Something, I don't know. Touch me and I'll sue. And Rocky just curls back and just punches him right in the gut. And, you know, it's Rocky. So one punch, the guy goes up in the air, you know. This 250, 300-pound man goes up in the air, lands back on a car, and just passes out. And then Rocky says, sue me for what? Right? Guys, that has to be our stance. To all the things of the world. What, be afraid of what? What do I have? I don't fear anything that can take away my life. I fear the one who makes decisions about my eternity, right? And I'm going to spend eternity with him. Come what may, have no fear. Sue me for what? Jesus said it like this. He said, he has nothing in me. The God of this world has nothing in me. The pre he has no place in me. He doesn't have strings he can pull. And too many of us have strings that he can pull. If I take this away, if I insert this, if I make this there, if I do this, you'll be walking around in fear. You'll forget everything I've, that God's called you to. You'll forget everything. All I've got to do is flash this, flash this, flash this, and you get triggered. It's time for us to say, Sue me for what? Take what from me? Naked I came into this world, and naked I will return. I came from heaven, and I'll go back for eternity. And it's going to be a beautiful eternity at that. So here we go. Things are going to not only are we going to be okay, but we're going to see gains. I believe we're going to see gains. His kingdom is advancing. 
the increase of his government knows no end. We are not retreating. We are not backing up. We will see gains. There will be an advancement. We will gain, gain territory. We will gain ground. We start out this year talking about enlarging our place. And just because a virus comes, we're not restricting our place. We are enlarging our place. Today, we're ministering to more people than we ministered to when I talked about enlarging our place. Even though I'm sitting in a room with 10 people in front of a camera, we're enlarging our place. The kingdom is advancing. It is not retreating. God is not scared. God is not concerned. God is not sitting in the corner somewhere, like Kevin Wallace always would say, popping a Prozac. God is good. He's not afraid, and neither should we live in fear. That doesn't mean we should be rebellious and crazy. We should be submitted and walk in wisdom. The church, can I just say for a minute, the church should lead the way. We're sitting here so worried about our rights and our rights. We should lead the way. We should model the way to the world. They shouldn't have to tell us not to do things. We should be the ones that say, you know what? They just hinted that this could be helpful, so we're going to be the people that are supportive to our leaders and help them carry this difficult situation, and we have great influence in the world. If all the churches would bind together and do what needs to be done, it would be helpful. Yeah. And so we should lead the way and quit letting fear, because that's what it really boils down to, is fear about losing our place or losing our rights. But I serve a God who does not diminish, and there is no government, there is no law, there is no restriction, there is no anything. The church in restricted nations has been growing and multiplying for decades. And here we are sitting around trying to protect everything and our rights and being worried and being driven by fear, and we forget why we're here and the purpose and we end up being self-preservationist that doesn't care about the world and they see through it because if we cared about them we wouldn't care how we reached them just as long as we had the opportunity to reach them and nobody can take that away from us even in death will be a light that shines I was reminded of Stephen I'm all over the place. I've left my notes. But when we talk about death being swallowed up in victory, he says, even if I open the windows of heaven, the, the, the guy who was taunting Elisha said, even if God opened the windows of heaven, how would this be? Obviously, he did. It's amazing. In Micah, it talks back about Micah, Malachi. I just went blank. Malachi. Um, when, it, when it references back to this story, you know, Malachi says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse and see if I won't open the windows of heaven. And he's just remind, reminding us about that little taunt that guy made back in 2 Kings. See if I won't open the windows of heaven. But I see Stephen. When we talk about opening the windows of heaven, Pouring out a blessing. In the case of 2 Kings, it was pouring out a blessing so that there was increase and the situation turned around. Yeah. 
For Stephen, it was bigger increase and the situation turned around, but the world didn't see it that way. But Stephen knows it that way. We're so caught up with it turning away around the way we think it's supposed to turn around that we sit around depressed all the time because things don't look how we think they're supposed to look. But Stephen looked up as they have stones in their hands and begin to stone him. He looks up and he sees heaven open. This time God wasn't pouring something out, but he was receiving something in. Either way, the windows of heaven, heaven is open for me. Heaven is open for me. God will get to me what he needs to get to me, or he'll take me where he needs to take me. But no matter what, no one can shut the windows of heaven over my life. And no one can shut the windows of heaven over your life. They're open. You can close the restaurants. You can close the schools. You can close everything. But you can't close heaven. Heaven is open, and heaven is here. Yes. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's not something we have to look too far away anymore. It's right here. We can grasp it. Heaven is here, and we win. We win. Let's continue the story. We were in... Oh, verse 17. Now the king appointed the royal officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. This is the guy who said, even if they could open the windows of heaven, you think we could do that? <laughs> Just like him, wasn't it? <laughs> so he's over the gate. But the people trampled on him at the gate. They were so excited about getting the uh, flour and the barley for a shekel that they trampled on the guy who said it couldn't happen. So they trampled on him. Where am I at here? Uh, it happened, verse 18, just as the man of God spoke to the king, saying, two measures of barley for a shekel and a measure of fine flour for a shekel will be sowed tomorrow about this time at the gate of Samaria. Then the, ruler, the royal officer answered the man of God and said, Now behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he said, Behold, you will see it with your eyes, but you will not eat of it. Verse 20, And so it happened to him, for the people trampled on him at the gate, and he died. Are you FaceTime, Facebook live Oh, sorry. Continue on. I don't know what's happening. I thought the camera went down and you were going to that, and I was starting to panic a little bit, you know. So I was like, I need to look at him. <laughs> Quit looking at Michael. Start looking at Paul, right? Because I'm talking to the people. Look. <clears throat> Sometimes... You know, coming into today, I, I, I saw, I've spoke with some other pastors. I've seen some other pastors post things in transparency. What in the world do you talk about today? What do you say today? 
And I think people are going to err on the side of two things. Because so often we think that we have to have the answer. The perfect answer. So we'll either say things are going to be perfect tomorrow. Or we'll say God is going to sustain us. This is going to last a long, long time. We kind of err on the side of one of those two things. I don't know how many people will say, I don't have a clue how this is going to pan out as far as time frame. And I'm not sure exactly what the victory looks like. I mean, Elisha said it's going to happen tomorrow, but Elisha didn't say uh, when the guy said, if God could open the windows of heaven, could he make that happen? Elisha didn't say, oh, listen, it's not about windows in heaven. It's about the Aramean army. You know, they're out there, and there's these four lepers. He doesn't start telling this long story about how it's going to happen. He just knew it was going to happen. And so I don't know. Um, I've heard sermons about by this time tomorrow, amazing things are going to happen. I've heard great testimonies of people who took that word by faith and, and believed God that things were going to happen by tomorrow and specific things they prayed and asked God for, and they saw those things happen. And so where do we live in that place of tension? I want to live with faith. Believing for the miraculous to happen by this time tomorrow. What does that mean? I don't know. But I can have full assurance that God has me and he's working in me and through me. And if I get in my mind exactly what I think has to happen and then it doesn't happen the way that I think it's supposed to happen, then I take for granted what did happen and I don't celebrate what did happen. So I just want to say I believe by this time tomorrow, miraculous things are going to take place in the lives of God's people. That may look like somebody going home by this time tomorrow. That may look like someone getting their ultimate reward by this time tomorrow. That may look like some being miraculously healed and coronavirus wiped off the face of the earth. I want to push against the boulder of coronavirus with all my strength, and I want to get stronger and stronger as we push, never wavering and never one time thinking, God doesn't hear me and the heavens are closed because they're not. They're open. And God's moving and God's working in our behalf. This is the time. Always is the time. I don't want to sensationalize this time. It's always the time for us to be the church, for us to be the body of Christ, for us to be the family of God, for us to be people that demonstrate to the world what it means to have faith in God.
have faith in someone bigger than every circumstance and every situation that we can see around us in the immediate. We have to live in a place of faith. We cannot let questions trump our revelation. We need to have a revelation of the goodness of God. We have to know that God is good and that sickness and disease and viruses and devastation do not come from God. And we must move forward doing the work that he sent us to do. I'm reminded of a story in John chapter 9 where Jesus heals a man who was blind from birth. And when Jesus, one of the most beautiful parts of that story is um, just at the very beginning of it, it says Jesus noticed a man, the boy who was blind. Jesus noticed the boy who was blind. There's some stories where we see that Bartimaeus cried out, right? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, right? We know that some people did that, but it's so beautiful that this guy's just there, and it says Jesus saw this man. Jesus saw him. Jesus recognized him and knew him and knew his his issue and knew his problem and knew his struggle. And his disciples said, who sinned, this guy or his parents? Jesus said, neither. But so the works of God can be displayed in his life. Now I've looked at this from different lenses and where the semicolons are and all this stuff. And there's times when I've read it and studied it and really believed it was meant this way and there's times I look at it and I say it can't mean that that way and and I haven't came to a place where I can totally dissect that that statement where I know definitively and I can say this is what it means because there's times if you look at the original language and how the sentence sentence structure is that the sentence could stop neither this man sin nor his parents period there's a semicolon there which could be changed out for a period, okay? And then it says, but if the works of God are going to be displayed in him, we must do the works while it's still day, yeah. right? So nobody sinned, but that's irrelevant. If God is going to be glorified in this situation, the people of God have to do the work of God. Yeah. And then... Sometimes I'm like, no, that can't be that way. That's too much. That's too much. Uh, that's too. That's taking too much uh, liberty with translation. That's taking too much liberty. I can't definitively say that. So, what if it really does say, not this man nor his parents, but that God can be glorified, like He was made this way for God to be glorified. Then that messes with my theology, you know. Why would he be made blind and, you know, so God could heal him? I just, that just, that question trumps my revelation of God. So I've come to this place. It's kind of like, you know, when it says, Peter says, you are the Christ, son of the living God. And he says, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. And there's people that say the revelation that it's Christ is the rock that he builds his church upon. And some people say, it's actually Peter, that's the rock. And I say, I've, and I wrestled that for years, and I finally came to the place and said, whether it's Peter or the revelation, I want to be like Peter with the revelation, <laughs> right? 
And so I don't know how we can take that sentence structure, but I do know this about God. It's, I don't believe that a question about why this man was blind trumps the revelation that God is good. And it's not his intention for anyone to suffer. So why was he born blind? And what does it mean? And then I've come to this place. I don't know why he was born blind. I don't understand that. That's above my pay grade. That's a question I'll ask one day if, in heaven if I don't have the revelation before then as to all the intricacies of why anyone ever has a deficiency in their life. Because I'd like to know that because I've had one. If you notice me breathing weird, I've had two surgeries on my throat. I've got a restricted airway. I've got the airway of like a five-year-old. And I'd like to know why I have that. I don't know why. I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen deaf ears open. I've seen miraculous healings take place, yet I'm up here sucking through a five-year-old airway. I don't know why. I don't know why that it's like that. And I still believe God that I will breathe freely. Breath and blood will flow through my body freely in Jesus' name. I don't know all the quest answers to all the questions. But I saw this this week by wrestling with that story again. No matter what the cause was, Jesus, when he's inserted, it changes even the cause. I don't know why it happened. He said, but since I'm Jesus, and when I'm Jesus, it, it redeems even the cause. So when God says he was created this way so that I could be glorified, he's not, just, he's not saying we intentionally created him that way. He, I don't know where it came from. I believe it came from hell. I believe it came from abnormalities that came from hell. We know that in the garden there was no blindness. And so all of these things came somehow from sin and destruction in our world. So I don't know how it got there and how it came there, but when Jesus inserts himself, he goes back and he says, since I'm going to be here, we can say the cause of it was for me to come and for me to be here and for me to change it, and now I'm glorified. So I don't know what the cause of all the, all the devastation and all the negative things that happen and all the things, the distractions and the things that happen in your life, but I know that if you will allow Jesus to be inserted in your situation then it will change even the whole cause of why those things came about. They may have been sent to kill, steal, and destroy, but he's going to turn it around, and he's going to give you life and give it to you abundantly, and you're going to have stuff left over from the Aramean army that circled you and surrounded you. You're going to come out better than you were before. He's redeeming the cause, and he's restoring the future. He does it in our behalf. I just want to leave you today with some very simple reading that I just feel like we should do together. Psalm 23. The Lord is my best friend and my shepherd. I always have more than enough. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me 
to an oasis of peace, the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me pathways to God's pleasure and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. You remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely, for you are near. Those of you that are quarantined and talking about being lonely, stop being lonely because he's near. He's called you away into a secret place to fellowship with you. You become my delicious feast even when my enemies dare to fight. You anoint me with the fragrance of your Holy Spirit. You give me all I can drink of you until my heart overflows. So why would I fear the future? For your goodness and love pursues me all the days of my life. Then afterward, when my life is through, I'll return to your glorious presence to be forever with you. We don't lose. My dad used to say, you can't lose with the stuff I use. You can't lose with the stuff I use. Psalm 91, just start in verse 9. When we live our lives within the shadow of God Most High, our secret hiding place, we will always be shielded from harm. How then could evil prevail against us or disease infect us? God sends angels with special orders to protect you wherever you go, defending you from all harm. If you walk into a trap, they'll be there for you and keep you from stumbling. You'll even walk unharmed amid the, among the fiercest powers of darkness, trampling every one of them beneath your feet. For here is what the Lord has spoken to me. Because you have delighted in me as my great lover, I will greatly protect you. I will set you in a high place, safe and secure before my face. I will answer your cry for help every time you pray, and you will find and feel my presence even in your time of pressure and trouble. I will be your glorious hero and give you a feast. You will be satisfied with the full life and with all that I do for you, for you will enjoy the fullness of my salvation. First John 5, 4, you see every child of God overcomes the world. For our faith is the victorious power that triumphs over the world. So who are the world conquerors defeating its power? Those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Romans 8, 28, so we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives for what we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. And we'll close with this. Lastly, Romans 8, 37, yet even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all. 
For God has made us to be more than conquerors. And his demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. So now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, or dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. There is no power above us or beneath us, no power that can ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate, passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your obedience even unto death. And we thank you for your resurrection that we prepare to celebrate in a few weeks. Lord, we thank you for tomorrows that are full of hope and life. Lord, we thank you that by this time tomorrow, we'll have testimonies of your goodness that's been displayed in our lives. By this time tomorrow, we'll see the windows of heaven have opened. We'll see your face. We'll see your plans. We'll see your process. We'll have confidence that you are moving and you are working and you're increasing and you are enlarging us. By this time tomorrow... I pray for every person in their homes, every person watching this by live stream. By this time tomorrow, they'll see. They'll have testimony. It will be, it will be undeniable that the hand of God Hallelujah. has moved in their life. It'll be a peace that passes understanding. It'll be a joy unspeakable and full of glory. It'll be just a difference in their countenance. It'll be a difference in their, it'll be faith coming in the place of fear. It'll be sound mindedness and replacing fear. It will be a transition that takes place. All of their circumstances may not change, but their hearts and their minds will change by this time tomorrow. We'll be people of faith with a renewed passion and a renewed hope. To be victorious in this world and overcome every obstacle and situation. We love you and we thank you. Bless every home and every family. We curse coronavirus in Jesus' name. We curse it at the root. We send it back to hell where it came from. We ask for coronavirus to be wiped off the face of the earth. We ask for divine intervention. We ask for miracles to take place. Corona be banished in Jesus' name. And we ask for peace and hope and love to overflow from your people. And we ask for those that don't know you or those that have turned away from you to be drawn to your goodness. 
Bring them to a place of repentance. Bring them to a place when everything seems to have passed away and everything that gave them joy and fake joy and fake peace and fake happiness, all the things that they used to turn to, when it seems like all of those social crutches are gone, let them be left with the reality that they need a relationship with you. And when they do, when they decide to try to crack open their door, let them see that your door's already been flung wide open to them. You've opened the windows of heaven. You've opened the doors of heaven. You've flung wide. You've brought heaven to earth. And it's here for the taking. In Jesus' name, we love you. We bless you. Amen, amen. We love you in your homes. Stay safe. Stay encouraged. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life.